The following podcast contains explicit depictions of war. Listener discretion is advised. Though you're leaving me today, never fear. In my thoughts you'll always be ever near. There's a tear in every eye as the boys go marching by. But they're out to do or die so we are doing something a little bit different for Asians Represent. We are, we're not really changing history because what we're doing is actually showing a more holistic view of history with this episode, but we're kind of diving into something super heavy. It can be lighthearted, but I think the material that we're diving into is super heavy. Uh, for this actual play, for the next two episodes, including this one, we're going to be playing a game called Ross Rifles. That's a game that I wrote. Uh, with my friends Patrick Keenan and Daniel Grow, And uh, we're actually going to be kickstarting this in October. But I want to kind of start off with like logistics of this game because, you know, this is World War I, right? And I want to kind of see how much everybody kind of knows about World War I. How much do we all know about World War I? Next to nothing. I know that people, it was like rough times. I know that there was a lot of mud and that people had foot disease. And that there was some kind of Christmas thing that happened, but I don't know anything else about it. So there were lo- there was lots of mud, there was trench foot, and there was a Christmas truce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm similar uh, in that I understand trench foot. I understand it was really really rough. I know that mustard gas was used, which was horrifying, awful. Yeah. Towards yeah. the end of the war, I know that we start introducing new technology that was never seen before, like tanks. And what have you to get over to the trenches. And I know a tiny, tiny bit from my high school education, but like the Somme and one uh, of the bloodiest battles. Yeah. And and other like things the Canadians were involved with. But the details are even they're super, super hazy for me. Uh I suspect I know a little more about World War One. I. I just got a little bit more interested in it, partly because I'm playing this long-standing game uh that's set in World War II, uh, but I got more interested in that. Uh, I am definitely excited about today because, as Danica once said, I when I was growing up in Canada, we definitely heard the Canadian sort of, you know, this is what the Canadians did. And Canadians were especially heroic and brave in World War One and so forth uh, and really did some great innovations. But there wasn't there isn't a lot of representation of, say, Chinese Canadians who did fight, uh, as well as uh, people from South Asia, even though there were millions upon millions of them fighting uh, on the side of the British Empire. So... Yeah, know a little bit more about it. Yeah, definitely. It. And you've, you've played an early build of this game, too. I have. It was excellent. Yeah, you played an early build of this. Actually, my, my story behind this was I didn't know too much about World War I, aside from you know, what I learned at school and you know, stuff I had learned while working at a museum. But for my old podcast, Curiosity and Focus, I actually did this interview with this amazing retired engineer named Jack Jin. And Jack had basically uncovered the story of one of the first ever Canadian-born Chinese people to fight in World War I and die in World War I. And nobody knew about his story until very recently. His name was Frederick Lee. And as you can probably guess, people thought he was British, with the last name of Lee. Mm-hmm. And Jack kind of did this intensive research project and found out that Lee was actually Chinese. And he was born to a family that was kind of associated with the Hudson Bay Company. And they were living in Vancouver. 
and his father was, you know, a, a trader, a businessman, did what he could, but there were like a hundred laws in Kamloops, BC, um, and in the area that prevented Chinese people from having basic human rights. And when Frederick's father left to go back to China, Frederick, his brothers, and his mom were, were left in Canada, and his mom couldn't get work, and so she took the whole family back to China, and Frederick kind of stayed back. And when the war broke out, when, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, a lot of Chinese people, well, a lot, I mean, there's 300 Chinese people who fought in the war for Canada. Uh, when Chinese people started trying to volunteer because they believed that this would get their community recognition, Frederick signed up. And he eventually, you know, after fighting through resistance to even get into the army, fought. He fought and died in a very... Um, a battle that's not usually talked about in school called the Battle of Hill 70. It was a very bloody battle. It's basically a battle where the Canadians had to basically direct German reinforcements towards them away from another battle. And Frederick died at that battle. Um, so I started learning about Frederick, and then I was like, oh, there's got to be more of them. And Jack, the guy I was interviewing, was like, yeah, there are so many more. Um, there was this guy named Wee Tan Louie who also came from Kamloops. And they rejected him when he signed up. So he actually rode on horseback across the Rocky Mountains to Calgary to sign up with 10th Battalion. And 10th Battalion was very famous for accepting, you know, people from all walks of life and all ethnicities. And he actually became a machine gunner. Him and his brother actually survived the war and were like won medals of, of valor. And their, I believe their helmets and their uniforms are on display at a museum in Vancouver. So I learned this story about the Chinese community and its you know, involvement in the war. And I thought, oh, well, I got to do something. And when I was teaching at the museum at the time, I thought, you know, November 11th is, you know, Remembrance Day is coming. And then this was 2017. And I thought, okay, well, I want to teach this. And up until that time, there were only World War I games that involved like the occult. No Man's Land, that area between the Allied and German trenches, mm -hmm. that, that area where nobody could go because you'd just get shot, blown up, or drown in the mud. That area was so scary, and a lot of people like to deal with that fear and that horror by introducing the occult. Like to say that there are like zombies and werewolves and all sorts of shit in there, and ghosts and whatnot. And I thought, you know what? I, I want to make it realistic. I want to teach my students you know, what history was actually like through a game. And so me and my writing partner started doing this game, Ross Rifles. And our very first playtest, we actually playtested it with 60 kids with multiple GMs, and we did a large-scale battle on November 11th after I talked about, like, the history of, you know, World War One and how, you know, all of this started on June 28th, 1914 with a single gunshot. And that kind of erupted into this war that touched basically all of the continents and affected basically nearly the entire world. And so for the past two years, I've been working on this game. And Amar, you've play tested it. And you were actually the first person to play a South Asian character. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm super excited that we get to do this now. So there's a little bit of background on my sort of like what what came here my my two co-authors both had family members who were in the war um but my connection is mostly through 
the Chinese community and mm-hmm. learning about that, learning about the 300 Chinese people who fought in the war, the 200 Japanese Canadians who fought in the war, the 2,000 uh, black Canadians who fought in the war, and the 4,000 indigenous peoples who fought in the war, and how their stories aren't really told in the history books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted Ross Rivals to be a game where people can represent their communities in these war stories. So yeah, but before we get into that, this is a war game. So I think we need to talk a little bit about safety tools, lines and veils, and how we want to do this. Because we're going to be, there's going to be violence. There's going to be the potential for gore or, well, in this case, there won't be mustard gas because mustard gas wasn't used at the point in the war where we're going to play. But there will be chlorine gas, which was not as visibly devastating, but still really, really fucked people up. Um, there will be gunfire, there will be explosions, there will be tragedy and loss. And before we get into any of that, we need to see what are our lines, our veils, and what safety tools we want to use to make sure that everybody here can, A, first of all, have fun, or at least you know, be entertained, and B, learn. Because you know, Ross Rivals is supposed to be an educational game. Mm-hmm. So do you want to? You did a really good job of talking about safety tools. Yeah. During Dungeons and Asians episode one, do you want to talk about at least one safety tool? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you did. You did a great job. Just kind of safety tools, and I just wanted to say that uh, I'm so happy that we can play this game together. Um, the themes are really, really heavy, and I would say that if you know this came across my table and was like, "Hey, we're just gonna play this World War One game. There's gonna be like mustard gas and tanks, and you're gonna be soldiers." If I didn't know that the GM would be like using safety tools, I would probably nope out of it right away. I'd be like, you know what, that's a huge emotional burden. And I got to really think about if that's really the game for me. But the fact that, you know, y'all are here and we're going to do safety tools really quickly just kind of opens that up for me. I'm going to be super in my com- discomfort zone. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to talk about that I think is going to make me feel kind of like grimacing emoji on the inside. But with the safety tools here, I feel like I'm going to get a lot of learning out of it, like the educational aspect that I otherwise wouldn't. Um, so I'm really excited because we're going to have uh, the O card here. And that's what I'm going to talk about. So the O card is similar to the X card, something that's visible at the table that everyone can see or touch or manipulate. Um, and the O card is kind of like a, yes, let's keep going type signal for the rest of the group, which is really important to me because there's going to be times I think where I might look like I'm very uncomfortable or like I kind of don't want to keep going. But with the O card, I can just quickly signal to everyone else like, hey, we can keep going here. I'm okay. Keep keep going. Let's just keep going. And I, I'm, even though I'm not expressing it physically, uh, I am getting value out of this. So the O card is one of our safety tools that we'll be using today. All right. Agatha? Yeah. And then on the other side of it is, of course, the X card, which is the tool that we use to uh, show that we don't want a specific content to to be in the game. And so whenever something comes up, it can be a name. It can be uh, just an action that happens. It can be a thematic content that happens. We can just raise our X card uh, or you can put your hand on the X card. Depends on what your table layout is like. And then uh, the rest of the table will clarify what exactly is being removed. And then you can choose to talk about it if you want to kind of like talk through or you can be like, I don't want to talk about it and we'll just all move on. We'll edit the content that we just played out to to not include that anymore and then we'll move on and our last one amar we want to talk about lines and veils 
yeah, Lines and Veils is a, a, a tool that allows us to uh, kind of imagine if this is a movie, there are things that we just will not have, and that's lines. And veils are uh, things at which we the screen will kind of go to black or like fade away. Uh, and so we're going to go around the table and uh, kind of state what our lines uh, will be and also any veils that sort of have come up. Yeah, so do we want to start, anybody want to start with their, with their, let's start with lines. Okay, I have my usual lines, which is sexual assault and sexual coercion. I don't expect that to be be a thing in this game but i think it's good to still lay down the foundation yeah, yeah i mean it, it's something that could come up and in a world war one game mm-hmm. um you know the the trenches were really famous for their brothels oh, okay um and so and you know how soldiers gallivanting around the french countryside mm. so this is totally something that could go up so that's you're totally correct in bringing that up also that's because that's something you don't want in your game mm-hmm. uh any other lines I know last time we played, I had a line of like permanent physical disabilities and injuries. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and make that a veil for today. Um, I might ask that we make it a line, but let's start with a veil and we can change that if I, if I feel like I need to. Okay. Uh, is that um, a veil just for your character or for any of our characters? Uh, just for wanna... my own. Okay. Okay. Any, anybody else? Uh Unlike the previous game, um, I will actually, like, I'm a little bit more comfortable with a certain amount of gore. Not a whole lot, not excessive, but that is a key part of the, this world war. This world war, like, it was... So I can I can describe maybe an injury, yeah. but not, not to, like, gratuitous detail. No. Um, yeah, it, it's really sort of in, in Dungeons and Dungeons, it was kind of like the glorification of gore for its own sake is not really something I'm interested in. Um, but I think it's important also to kind of confront or as close as we can of without having to actually go go there of course uh, have an idea of what this war was like and it was brutal yep okay so i'm gonna put a veil as an intense gore is that okay for everybody yeah i think it's great yeah yeah, yeah. uh agatha anything else or veils yeah since we're on veils um i think uh i want to bring up what mars no maybe what we yeah. talked about in, in dungeons that agents as well um, how do we feel about racism? Because considering we, at least I plan on playing a character of color. Yeah. Now, racism was certainly a part of the war. Yeah. Um, in the trenches as well. Yeah. How do we feel about that? How much do we want that to be present in the I game? Think, I think we kind of understand. I think it's, we implicitly understand that the characters have experienced that. Right? This This is... Well, we're, our our game's going to be set in 1915. Yeah, you know what? I think for this particular group, I'm pretty safe saying, you know, no line, no veil for me. Whatever happens, happens. And I know that I can speak up if I'm like, you know what? This actually touched a nerve a little too much. And we can have a conversation at that point. But right now, I'm good going in without a line or a veil. Cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that this is not going to be all racism all the time. No, of course um, not. But so I'm okay with like a little bit of that, but I, I don't really want to explore that. It's yeah. like the main theme of this game. The, the game is about the section because we don't use the word squad; we use the word section. Um, it's about the section, so it's about the dynamics between the three of you primarily. You will be interacting with other NPCs, but the drama is between the three of you. Okay. Cool. So, so do you want to put racism as a veil? Yeah, I think a veil is okay. Yeah. Sounds good. No explicit language. Yeah, no, of like, course. Yeah, I'm not going to be using. We're not going to be using any racial slurs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with like it being gestured at. 
if it's yeah. like whatever is that yeah, yeah almost like somebody says like oh you people like that sort of or it can be like a consequence of like a failed role or something where it's like this is the kind of blow the emotional blow okay mm -hmm. i'm down with that mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay cool so to clarify our lines are sexual assault and sexual coercion our veils our our um, permanent physical injury just for steve's character uh intense gore and racism okay mm -hmm. nice okay awesome so i kind of want to talk about why we called the game ross rifles because there there is some people are like oh ross rifles this is just a game about a really shitty gun mm. or because that's something that we all learn about in grade 10 history and now all 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 four of us are far removed from the 10th grade and 10th grade history um but for those of us who are listening and are living in the united states uh, you might have you might not have ever heard of the Ross rifle. Okay, so the Ross rifle was actually a gun born out of conflict with, uh, you know, the British Empire when Canada fought its first international war, the South Af the Second South African War. We were using a rifle called the Lee Metford, and the British were using the new Lee Enfield rifle. It's a very famous rifle, and Canada asked, which was a Dominion of the British. Um, ask for the, the rights to basically manufacture the Lee Enfield domestically in Canada. And the British said, no, like, well, how are we supposed to fight with these old ass guns? Um, what, what ended up happening was a man named Charles Ross was like, Hey, I, I've got a gun. We could do, we could use my design. It's flawless. And we'll have our own gun. Well, the war in South Africa ended, but Charles Ross's rifle became the rifle of the Canadian military. And he produced something called the Ross rifle. Now the Ross rifle is really unique. There are, there are over 20 variants of the Ross rifle. There's even one where you actually use it lying on your back and you rest it on your feet. And it became like this incredible rifle that was famed for its accuracy and precision. It was basically a sporting rifle. It was a rifle that you could hunt with. It was a gentleman's gun. Mm. Uh, very, very famous rifle. But, when the Canadian Expeditionary Force joined the Second World War, the Ross rifle proved to be too long to be in the trenches, and it also had a major flaw. Did you say the Second World War? Did I say Second World War? Yes. First World War. Thank oh, you. Oh, I see. Um, it, um, it was too long, and you could only use what we in the present call match-grade ammunition. Very nice ammo. Mm. And it wasn't compatible with the mass-produced ammunition that the British were making for the Lee Enfield rifle. So when you were using it, the gun wouldn't work. There was also a major flaw in that the gun, the bolt, that part that you, you actually manipulate to chamber a new round, could be reinserted backwards into the gun so that when you fired it, the bolt would fly out and hit you in the face. Oof. And there was a saying, it took five men to operate one Ross rifle. Mm -hmm. okay. Now, the Ross rifle was basically switched out for the Lee Enfield in 1916. But Canadians fought with it for a whole year before it was switched out, often grabbing Lee Enfield from, from dead British, right? But we chose the name Ross Rifles because A, it's Canadian, and B, it was kind of a symbol for the hardships that were brought onto soldiers in the First World War, but also the grit and determination they displayed while serving on the front lines. Canadians were famous for being a fighting force, for being, you know, the Germans called us stormtroopers. 
because we were so aggressive in our fighting. But the Ross rifle is also, you know, a symbol for the people who weren't written about in the history books. Uh, one of the deadliest soldiers of the entire war, globally, the entire war, was a man named Francis Pegamagabo. And he is one of the, you know, the 4,000 indigenous peoples who fought for Canada. And he used a Ross rifle for the entire war, and he killed 378 people with a Ross rifle for wow. the duration of the war. He survived the war. Um, so this Ross rifle is kind of a symbol of Canadian resilience. And that's why we call it Ross rifles rather than Lee Enfields, because that also doesn't ring as well. <laughs> yeah, um, this, was, this was good marketing. Ross rifles, alliteration. Yeah, I love alliteration. Dungeons and uh, Asians. <laughs> I guess not Asians represent. But my other game, Zany Zoo. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's, that's kind of the, the reasoning behind the name. A lot of people were kind of wondering, why is it called Ross rifles? It, is the game going to be shitty like the gun? <laughs> Some people were asking that. Well, now there's an answer. The game wasn't, sh sorry, the gun wasn't shitty. It was prissy. Yes, <laughs> it, was, it was. It was. It was. Um, I'll only take match grade gunpowder. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I have to have perfect ammunition. You need to keep me very, very clean. It, it was a good sniper's rifle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very good for a sharpshooter. Okay. Um, so our, our, our characters are going to be members of a section. Now, this is a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game, just like... Hearts of Wind. We are going to do an actual play for that. Yes, we are. I think one of our Dungeons and Asians episodes should just be played in Hearts of Wind. I'm so Ooh, into that. Yeah. I'm down. And yeah. I'll, I'll play Don't Phone. <laughs> oh, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you want to GM it. It's your game. Oh, yeah. I would be GMing it. It's true. I'll play an NPC. I'll play somebody else. No, you can just play a different character. I mm. guess you can play Don't Phone. You can do whatever you want with them. No, no. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be a different character. It could just be like... I don't know, but I, I would like us to use other games in our Dungeons and Asians. That's very interesting. Um, especially since it's your, your dope game. It is very dope. And we never got to play your game to support the Kickstarter. That's we, true. Because now we're, now we're getting into actual play mode. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So we got to do Dun uh, Hearts of... We got to shout out Hearts of Wooing. We will. We will. Um, but yeah, this uses, you know, two D6s. Shout out to Apocalypse World. Now, there are six playbooks in this game. Each one is kind of based on... Somebody I've either playtested it with or a, or a real historical figure. So the first one is the scout. And the scout is actually based on Francis Pegamagabo. The scout is somebody who is skilled at violence. Somebody, now they might not enjoy it, but it's somebody who is skilled at violence. Somebody who understands no man's land. Somebody who is good at surviving in the trenches and out of them so that's the scout i'm just so gonna... wolverine so wolverine <laughs> yeah so wolverine I'm very good at what i do and what i do ain't very nice exactly whatever that line is that's that's the scout the next one is the scarred the scarred is somebody who is a veteran of the canadian military I'll, we'll just put him over there uh the scarred is somebody who's a veteran of the canadian military maybe they fought in the south african war in this case our game's going to take place in 1915 so you wouldn't really be a veteran of the first world war but you might be a veteran of the South African War. Um, somebody who has maybe physical or emotional scars from seeing conflict. Okay. The next one is the sergeant. The sergeant is somebody, oh, and with the scarred, the scarred is kind of the, also the emotional core of the group. The scarred is 
somebody who kind of takes on the responsibility of making sure the rest of the group doesn't become them. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. Now, Lamar, is that is that what you want to be? You want Well, there's the, the next one is the sergeant. You want to do a lot of emotional labor? Yeah. <laughs> the the sergeant is somebody who bears the responsibility of the group's actions. So whereas the scarred shoulders the responsibility of trying to make sure everyone comes home safe, the sergeant also has an added layer of you know, having to deal with everyone's actions and being accountable for what everybody in the group does. Okay. Now, the sergeant is actually based on a soldier named um, uh, Masumi Mitsui. He was a Japanese soldier. And he had um, very long... So he actually lived for 100 years. Whoa. What? Yeah. Yeah, he fought in the First World War. Um, when, when Patrick and I went to the war museum in Ottawa, we actually spent about four hours in the armory handling Ross rifles, handling uniforms, seeing like the actual items, like holding the grenades, seeing what they feel like. Um, we went deep, yeah, deep. Um, and the sergeant is based on a one of the most famous Japanese Canadians to ever fight in World War One, and he commanded a section of thirty soldiers. Hmm. Basically, when he he was also in Tenth Battalion, which is again the one that I mentioned before with the Chinese soldiers. Mm-hmm. And when the British officers realized that there was this huge language barrier between the Japanese soldiers and the others. They assigned Masumi to be the sergeant to oversee all the Japanese soldiers. And there's actually a memorial in Stanley Park in Vancouver dedicated to the Japanese Canadians who fought in World War I. And his name is on that. Wow. So that's the sergeant. Uh, next one is the replacement. Uh, the replacement is based on Patrick's um, great-grandfather who fought, technically was in the Canadian Expeditionary Force. But when he was heading over to France on a boat, the war ended. So he never got to fight. But this one is also based on um, my friend Todd Crapper. Uh, do you know Todd? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Todd played in the game. It was me, um, Todd, I think DC was there, Mark D.S. Truman. And Todd played a character who didn't want to fight, but was assigned to a group of hardened veterans. And so the replacement is somebody who is literally replacing a beloved member of the section. So the rest of the section has maybe lost a friend, a comrade, an ally, and you're their replacement. This one is like very open to interpretation. Um, next one is the creative. So the creative is somebody whose talents before the war didn't really align with life in service. Uh, the creative is based on, you know, John McRae, who wrote Flanders Fields. The creative is also based on J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, you're somebody who lifts the more morale and spirits of people in the trenches with your art, be it you know poetry, could be um, illustration, it could be sculpture. Um, one of the things that I got to see in um, in Ottawa was a huge artillery shell, like massive. It was this big. And it's as big as a person's torso. Mm? Yeah, it was about two you know, heads. It's about a foot and a half big, long, <laughs> foot and a half long, two heads. 
<laughs> this is a measurement. I'm literally looking at your face and being like, oh, there's two it's of It's two of Daniel's heads. If <laughs> you know how big my head is. <laughs> I thought, what, what is this reference? You're just like, yeah, it's two heads. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, you know, Mad Maxing going on? The, the, know, the, yeah. the universal <laughs> system. The you know, universal system of measurement, the head. <laughs> um, but it's very, very large. I guess it got darker than anybody yeah, else. Yeah, that's real dark. Like, <laughs> oh, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> You're getting in the Six mood. Six years? No. <laughs> Un- unintentionally sorry, dark. Friends. But, uh, it, they actually took a shell and it had been pulled apart and cut out like a, like a flower and carved with Chinese words. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. It was like the cool, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, and the last one is the scrounger. The scrounger is somebody who maybe was a farmer beforehand, somebody who was actually suited to life in the trenches. They're either very sociable and able to get the group, the equipment that they need, or they're very skilled at turning garbage into something useful. Mm. And that's the, that's the scrounger. So those are our, our playbooks. And each of you has a move sheet. What are we interested in? Because I think this session is just going to be, I think we're going to kind of start the game. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it is going to be us talking about our characters. Yeah. So what are we thinking? What have we kind of gravitated towards? Steve, you, you look like you want to grab one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I came in with like a couple character ideas. And so the way I make characters is I... I Playbooks I look at, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I wanted to like tell a story and like something impactful to me. So I was like, I was telling you, I had just watched Tolkien the movie. Yep. Um, and I always, I like the idea of just like this war is happening, it gets thrust upon you. You're an academic, you're someone who's trying to find themselves. Some things have not gone the way you wanted it to. Maybe you made some terrible, terrible mistakes and like you regret them. But this is in the war. No, before the war. Oh, yeah. So I won't, I won't spoil anything. But Tolkien had made. Uh, what he likely would have considered like his greatest mistake or regret. Um, and then all of a sudden he's going to war and maybe there's no chance that he'll ever correct it. Right. And I was like that from a person who's a scholar, like a linguist, someone who likes to create stories. All of a sudden you're, you've d- decided to put your life on the line for country. I was like, I'm kind of connecting with that story. I'd like to kind of tell that. Okay. So, so you're thinking maybe which ones? Maybe creative, maybe creative. The placement. Someone, yeah. The creative, someone who's in here and, you know, loves stories and loves heroes and loves the idea of being a hero, but has never really, you know, had to put their their life on the line. So cool. now you're a writer. Yeah, I'm a writer. Yeah, so grab that one. Yeah. How about you, Agatha? I'm not sure yet. I'm actually looking at the basic moves and then looking at <laughs> this is what I do part <laughs> of by the apocalypse games. I'm like, oh, which basic move do I really want to hit all the time? And then what <laughs> what status associated with that? And then what is the focus of that on a playbook as well? Because I feel like they're usually very tied thematically. I love that you're power gaming min maxing a PBTA game. A hundred percent. Wow. I I I min max all of my characters, friends. <laughs> is Agatha a DD player? Oh my god. Oh my god, you guys. Not DD Pathfinder. <laughs> the real min maxing, right? Right, right, guys? It's D D three point five. This is the right this is the right joke. <laughs> <laughs> you did it you did it yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i should we just make a twitter account for agatha it's just called agatha's D jokes <laughs> and then the first week is going to be pathfinder period oh, oh that's pretty good that's what, agatha, that's what agatha would do i'm just getting in character yeah yo pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> i don't laugh like i'm trying to i always forget and then i try to remember how to do the agatha laugh no i think you've you've really stuck with it I've changed it, and it's not your laugh anymore. That's okay. That's okay. I, I still accept you. 
Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I really like a lot of these like valor related things. I think I yeah. We put icons next to each one to kind of go with parts of your character sheet. Um, oh, that's so, so for cool. instance, the basic move provide comfort. It actually has the icon for valor next to it, so it's like a shortcut. For instance, like Faithful Through Adversity, it's on the first page at the center. It's our healing move, but you'll see next to it, it has Valor slash the harm symbol. So you'll know what could help you with that. Or for instance, let's see. This is an educational tool. That's very cool. Yeah, so fall back on the second page. Um, That one can do harm and stress. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'll I'll explain what those are. I really like that. Yeah, uh, so I'm th- I'm hoping for something. I would, I I'm very attracted to some a character that is very emotionally focused. The the scarred is definitely that. Although I, Amar, what do, do you want? Yeah, to... yeah, Amar. So I wanted to look at you because you definitely picked up this card. So I wasn't sure if you wanted that. Uh, you said you did. You want leadership? I, I was, uh, yeah, I wanted leadership, but I kind of wanted a, a, like a haunted leadership. So I could do the sergeant and just do kind and of haunted like, leadership. That's the scarred. I mean, you could just be the, the sergeant if nobody picks the sergeant. No, it's a... yeah. So if you want to do the scarred, that's fine. I can just do the sergeant. And yeah, you could be a haunted sergeant. I could be a hard haunted sergeant. Yeah. I mean, then I could also be the replacement, right? Isn't that yeah, the replacement is like the most flexible, I guess. It is. So you could oh, be. It is. Yeah. Oh no, I want I want to be a little more focused. Zero, 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 zero to your attributes? Question mark, question mark? Those oh. are your values. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> My stats are too low. No, I like it. I like it when it's really... And mid- then you get to add one. I like min-maxing for That's what I'm saying. I was like, I, I need my, this, is, this is not optimal. I need my minus two on something so that when I oh. have to roll that, then it's really tragic. And I also like my You could do the sergeant two. or the scout. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, why don't, yeah, why don't you be the... The, the scarred because I think that I think the sergeant that's, is I that's guess that. thematically what you want. Yeah, okay, so I'll take wait, the rest of the play. Wait, why am I the sergeant? Oh, I, I don't know. What were you going to do then? You I thought you else. were doing that. Oh, I can't just assign them to whatever. Exactly. Whoa, I'm so free. But yeah. but all of these moves. Oh wait, all of these moves are valor. I'm trying to shed my trad image. It's okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a cloak. You can change cloaks. There's there's a trad thought, cloak and a. There, I just thought of Lando Calrissian. In the solo movie, despite how bad it was, um, there was like um, uh, Donald Glover. I was going to say Childish Gambino. <laughs> Childish Gambino. Basically, he was doing this tour of like the set and he was like, this is Lando Calrissian's cloak closet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That movie had problems, but Childish Gambino was not a problem. He was not a problem. He was great. Yeah. I recently really started getting into his songs and I'm like, Whoa, he's, he's great. He's I mean, good. I mean, people were always like, "He's such a genius," and I'm like, ah, "But I really hate the title to Rape a Butterfly." So mm-hmm. I was just always like, "Maybe, maybe not my deal." And then, and then now I'm like, "Wait, I've been sleeping on this yeah. <laughs> when the world has not been." It's all good. Um, I always liked his uh, Freaks and Geeks. That's kind of like the first time I saw him rap, and I'd only known him as Troy in Community. Uh, and I was like, what? <laughs> Troy and Abed in uh, the morning. Yeah, and that was from his, um, I think it was called Because the Internet album. Mm, I, think. I, haven't, I haven't done that deep of a dive yet. Yeah. I've, yeah, only, I've only watched videos of people deconstructing his lyrics, and I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Deep. And this is yeah. America. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. That is good. Music video was good. I, I really liked Feels Like Summer. Mm-hmm. That's a good song. It's so good because it's such a bop. 
But then you listen to it and you're like, wait, this is actually really depressing. Because it's just <laughs> I about like, global I like, warming. I like, do you, do you like, do you guys know that song? Nah. It's from this um, EP he did called Cul-de-sac. And he sampled um, Melt My Heart to Stone by Adele mm. in it. It's really good. It was the first sort of Childish Gambino song I got into. Oh, wait. I think that would have been the one just before Freaks and Geeks. Because he yes. references the track that, yeah, okay. That samples uh, Adele. All right. So, okay, uh, so, so are we a bunch of like... Serious, so serious people are we well no you don't have to be so here's the thing like i've played games of ross rifles where it was just like like people were just like laughing and, and everything and then i've played games where it was just like super super serious mm. um like the game i don't know if you remember mm-hmm. like the game we played you guys ran into no man's land with like a pole and just like <laughs> clotheslined a whole bunch of germans um it was like it was super kooky uh, like I played, I played a whole game where all but this is when we made a huge change to the rules where they just wanted to go to a farmhouse and find a goat. And then they made the goat their mascot because that actually happened. Oh, wow. In World War I. <laughs> wow. It was actually a goat mascot. Um, I think it was, uh, I forget what his name was. But apparently they found out that goats could hear artillery shells better than humans. And this goat had actually saved people's lives by pushing them into a crater. Oh, just, my God. Yeah. What? Yeah. Can I play dope. a goat? <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the goat playbook? The goat playbook? Can I play a taupe goat. Will this taupe, be a dope, stretch goal? Dope goat. Uh, there's actually going to be a, a one of the stretch goals is uh, a whole section on mascots and trench slang. <gasps> Ooh, nice. That's so cool. That's yeah, dope. his name was uh, Sergeant Bill. Like Billy, <laughs> Billy Goat. goat. <laughs> oh, no, this Sergeant Bill with his uniform. You should Google Sergeant Bill right now if you're listening to this because he had a uniform. And he's actually got sergeant stripes, and it is amazing. So in terms of genders, uh, can we Shallows. only play men? Nope. Be whatever you want. Is this historically accurate? Nope, but it's a game. Yeah. Ooh. Interesting. Why did you decide to make that? Well, let me interview you. Yeah, no, go for it. Uh, so why did, you, why did the, you and your co-authors decide to make that specific decision? Uh, because, of the, I mean, World War One, there were like hundreds of thousands of soldiers there. Mm-hmm. Like women fought, women died on the front line. They were nurses. They probably took up arms. But also on like the, you know, the, the Russian provisional government in World War One actually had women's battalions. Right. Uh, they actually had one called the first Russian women's battalion of death. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're like, this is an RPG. This is your story. Tell your story. Interesting. Right. It, I, I, I am, I'm like the person's gender has, I mean, use whatever pronouns you'd like in this game. You don't have to be, you know, the idea was that not all the soldiers have to be cis white men. Right. Be whatever you want to be. Right. Which is, which is really fascinating because that came from a, let's be more historically accurate perspective. There, there were times when you can take liberties. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a liberty that we, we think is important to take. That's, that's cool. Because the whole point of the game is to let people, again, like I said, tell the stories they want to tell. Right. Right? Because, you know, what matters is the relationship you have with the other soldiers, mm-hmm. not with history. Right. Right? Your actions will ultimately be meaningless to the outcome of the war. And that's how people felt when they fought the war. They were like, why are we even here? Yeah, it'll be over by Christmas. It'll be over by Christmas. That's why that Christmas truth, truth <laughs> happened. Yeah. And then it, it went on for four more years. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. And only got bloodier. And only got bloodier. Okay. Um, so, 
when you start with the left side of your playbook, and if people are listening, you can actually get all of these playbooks and move sheets and the quick start for free um, on drive through RPG, or you could just head to dundaswestgames.com slash Ross Rifles. Uh, all of this is free. Um, just pay what you want, but I'd like to just say free. So, you know, pick a uniform, your appearance, uh, your name, and your player name. Uh, again, like, don't think that you have to have a British name, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you'll see equipment. We kind of, there is no damage in this game. You shoot somebody, you get like that 10 plus, you kill them. Oh. Right? Oh, I see. Uh, this, yeah. this game, originally when we made it, was very lethal. And we actually had a lot of player attrition. And so we kind of had to balance it out. So the equipment that you have is thematic. You, it can change. Uh, but for instance, the Scout has uh, a Ross Rifle Mark III, the 1910 model, with a 1913 telescopic sight and some sort of unique trench club that they get to describe. It could be a table leg with nails. It could be, you know, it could be like a baseball bat. It could be, you know, uh, maybe a traditional war club. It could okay. be anything. Right? So everybody will have some sort of uh, differences in weapons. For instance, like the Lee Enfield um, is a weapon. The Mark III Lee Enfield, the SMLE, the short model Lee Enfield, is the weapon of the replacement. They have a bayonet. If you're the scrounger, you have you have a pistol. Okay. Because you're you have an M1911 semi-automatic pistol. So I have a revolver. Yeah, the Webley. And a ma- bayonet. Yep. So you actually have um, have you ever seen Indiana Jones? Uh, I have not. I have not watched any single. Oh man, Indiana Jones. Movie. So you actually have the revolver of Indiana Jones. Oh okay. Uh, which we that's mark, like a short. Yeah, which mark does it say? It's Webley Mark Three, Six. Six? Okay. I always forget which one you have. Uh, I'll show, I'll show you a picture. So it's, the, a, it's a it's a it's a big gun. So the bayonet is not. Oh, it it's is. A, it's affixed to it. So that's your that's your firearm. That's a pretty classic revolver. Yeah, it's uh. There's one on display at the Royal Ontario Museum. And and a bayonet. So my when I hear bayonet, I think of it as attached to a gun. Yep, but I guess it is. What? <laughs> Somebody put it's a bayonet Final Fantasy oh. gun blade. What? <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. That's the exact gun you have with the bayonet fixed to it. Oh, that's awesome. It, wow, it looks like I'm in a steampunk world. Yeah, we actually went for some like pretty unique guns. Okay. Um, there was actually one of the coolest ones was um, there's something called the Hewitt um, automatic rifle. The Hewitt automatic rifle was <laughs> a cool story. This guy does when the Ross rifle went out of uh, was being used anymore. Mm-hmm. This guy was like, "Oh, well, we have all these Ross rifles." And this guy designed, took thirty parts of the Ross rifle and converted it into a machine gun. What? Yeah, called. And there's only four of them, and I got to hold one of them. There's four of them in existence. I got to hold one of the prototypes. That's what it looked like. You can actually see where there's the there's the old rifle yeah, stock. Yeah, wow. And he turned it into a machine gun. And I see the drum. And the drum, exactly. And it cost fifty dollars to make. Oh. That would have been a very. It would have changed the war. Yeah. Right. And then the war ended. Oh. And he was thirty three k in the hole. Oh shoot. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a very early automatic gun, wouldn't it have been? Well, there's the Lewis gun. Sure. There was the Vickers machine you know, gun. But what I mean is, like, that's not a machine gun. This is, like, hand-carryable. Well, the Lewis gun. I, oh, really? I showed you that video. You could carry the Lewis oh, gun. Oh, that's right. You could also carry, there's an, a portable version of the MG-08, that German machine gun that I showed you earlier when you were like, that's the sound of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a portable mm-hmm. version of it, too. Right. Huh. 
Interesting. Yeah, like it was an interesting war because like the Germans tried wearing plate armor. Yeah. They had shields. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, they tried everything. That's so sad. Bullets just went right, yeah. right through them. It's his name Wonder Woman. Yeah. Although I really do want to make a Diana playbook for Ross Rifles and Stretch just have Wonder Woman. <laughs> Stretch goal. <laughs> just have Wonder Woman. That's... You have your party, it's Diana the goat. <laughs> you can get some werewolves in there. This is a this is a weird game. Well, now. Okay, you know, in Wonder, have you, we've all seen Wonder Woman, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, spoiler alert for Wonder Woman. Okay, <laughs> that spoiler. It's been out. It's been out for how long? Oh, that was a... very sorry. aggressive. Very and, aggressive. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> in Passion of the Christ, uh, he dies at the end. What? What? I know. How dare? How dare you? Well, in Wonder Woman, she's wonderful. So, <laughs> uh, like, you know that trench scene where they're like, you can't go out there. Yeah. Nobody can go into no man's land. And she's like, fuck you guys. And she just like goes out there and she fucks everybody up. Yeah. But that was that feeling of no man's land. Like, they don't want to go out there. Yeah. Um, I just watched, um, there's a, you know, War Horse. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> there was a stage production, but there was also a, like a book. Yeah. There's a movie of War Horse. Yeah. There's a scene when they're like, commanding officers telling one of the other soldiers he's like they're going to do a charge out into no man's land and he's like you know if anybody turns back if any one of our like they say boys if any one of our boys goes running towards you you take your rifle and you shoot them yeah yeah daniel craig was in this james bond that's right was in this movie called the trench yeah and that and this is a movie from the 90s, so I can tell it. There's this scene where he's like yelling at this soldier for being a coward. He's like, gotta get out of the trench. And at the end of the week, he gets shot, falls on top of that soldier. And yeah, it's like World War One was intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So So I'm going to be the sergeant, right? You're the sergeant. Cool. Got oh, I have, a, I have a trench whistle too. Yeah, what what is what do you do with a trench whistle? I see that that's one of my tools. Very iconic. So when you're going to say, when everybody's going to charge, you would literally blow that whistle. And that sound indicated that it was time to go up the ladders and over the top. Okay. That's a, it, it's a powerful tool. Like you could. Wow. Yeah, it's a social tool. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, and then everybody under your other for your equipment, you'll see like small box respirator, your service dress those are the things that you all have. Mm. Uh, whether or not you're carrying them, you've stored, stored, stored them somewhere. Right. And then everybody will have a personal item. So that's something that's not standard issue, something that you've come from. Some people have like, oh, I have dirty postcards or like uh, a Bible or a pocket watch or a locket with a picture of my, my, my boyfriend or my wife or um, a teddy bear mm-hmm. that I found in a barn and it's like a symbol of your humanity. Right? Interesting. And this personal item has a mechanical role. And it could be used to remove stress, which I'll explain, mm-hmm. or to avoid the consequences of a failed role. But you have to work in that personal item into the narrative. Okay. Could be like chocolate, I bacon. No. <laughs> I got mine. Okay. We'll, we'll wait until introductions yeah. to everybody because I want to. Um, and then in the middle, you'll see attributes. So there are four attributes. Uh, they are valor, I, wit, and brawn. I realize on these playbooks that we should probably label them as well to make them more accessible. We um, also used a dyslexia-friendly font. Um, valor is your bravery, your leadership. Uh, I is your observational skill, but also your skill with firearms. Wit is your quick thinking. And brawn is your physical strength, or also your skill with melee weapons. Yeah. 
So everybody will have numbers. I'm seeing typos here too that we should fix that you can um, assign to these attributes. And then everybody gets to add one to additional one. And then there are questions as well. Everybody has a couple of questions. For instance, the scout, um, their questions are, you've taken many lives for king and country. What toll has this taken on you? Or your rifle has been with you since you enlisted. How have you made it your own? Or, you know, uh, your time conducting reconnaissance has uh, made you keenly aware of the dangers in no man's land. Establish one truth about, you know, that area of the battlefield. Bonds we'll do at the end after we do introductions, and then I'll, exp I'll explain harm and stress. On the second page of your playbook, because I noticed, Steve, you're done the first page. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, <laughs> Yo, you might be like a min-max, but I'm like like quick. I'm quick on this. Oh, is this a competition? All right, all right. I'm I'm Steve gonna... also had an idea. You had an idea before. I'm not saying it's a competition, but I'm winning. Okay, okay, got it, got so... it. Okay, Amar. Uh can you take their place? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, okay, Amar, alliance. <laughs> no, I just want to be second. So there's going to be playbook-specific moves as well uh, on the second page. Oh, my gosh. So my, mine are already checked off. Was that like no, There's one checked off that you have automatically, and then you get to add another one. Yeah, I know. You get those automatically. Oh, okay. So I, I pointed at two check marks because as the creative, I got two moves already. I get a third move? You get a third move. Oh, it looks like someone's min-maxing. Uh, I don't know. Looks like Steve's got more moves than Agatha. Oh my gosh, what? Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> but not in the game, I guess. I hope not. Maybe. Maybe there's some drama. Oh, right. Drama. Maybe you take... Maybe you take... What's your character's name? Uh, We do... Do I do intro? No, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking I want to be Japanese. Uh, I want to be pretty young. Okay. So I decided that my my birth name was Hajime. But everyone if just you're going to be me. young, then I'm going to be young too. Okay. So so I'm I'm Jimmy Tanaka. <laughs> maybe you take maybe you take Jimmy's notebook and you throw it into the mud. Oh. oh. Could, so this so, isn't the time for this. So Jimmy loves his calligraphy. He's very good at it. Oh. And snap. that's that's what he's bringing as his like humanizing personal item. Ooh. He he finds a lot of peace and like. Do you want to see joy. a badass photo of Japanese soldiers from World War One? You know the answer to that. You 100 percent know the answer to this. I will show you this. This is the most badass photo. Both of these guys are Japanese. I think I've seen this before. That's and yeah, I think you silly. showed it to me. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, there's um, yeah they they're they're badass. Um, there was actually this guy named um, Yasushi uh, Yamazaki. And he was a publisher of a newspaper called um, Tariku Nippo. And he actually played Vancouver and was basically the Asians represent of that time and was basically spearheading the acceptance of Japanese Canadian recruits into the army. He was basically advocating for them. So, so I was doing a bit of like research before we started. Sorry, what's up, babe? Oh, I'm looking for my copy of the basic moves and somehow it just disappeared. Vanished yeah, in the right haze. Here. I don't know. I've got extras. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe you return them with the rest of the playbooks. Maybe I sabotaged you so you uh -huh. wouldn't win. Yeah, that's Done. true. Oh, oh, rivals. Facts. Uh, so I, I was um, I was doing some research. I heard, apparently, like journalism was not allowed during World War One. Something like that. that. I don't. It was it, it like it was like a, a PBS like one pager on like World War One. So like I don't know how much stock I put into that, but it was kind of like they didn't want people reporting what was going on in the Western Front because 
you know, without control over what information was going back to civilians, they could really paint the war in a way that government officials did not want it to be painted. So, but of course, people still did it because, you know, people had to know the horrors that were going out here. Yep. Let me see if I can find you a picture of Frederick Lee. There's a really good one of him sitting with uh, the rest of his battalion while we do this. Is anyone going brawn heavy? No, I've got a one in brawn, so not super heavy now. Okay. I took my negative one in that. Okay. Have we have we all finished our, our playbooks for now? Because I know, Agatha, you want to do your questions with the group, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I am done. Save have for the bonds. Have you picked your playbook moves? Yes. On the second page? I, there's only one, so I yeah. picked my one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about, do we want to do questions in bonds or go into harm and stress? It's up to us. What? what? I'll, exp- I'll explain both then. So on the, on the right side of your playbook, you'll see ground, experience, harm, and stress. Now, ground is something that we use in this game to kind of symbolize your narrative momentum towards the objective. So I might say your lieutenant is shouting commands at you, Sergeant Lee, to you know, take out that German machine gun nest. As the GM, I'll tell you that you need three ground. So this is narrative momentum um, that at least half of the groups of two out of three need to obtain. Ground can be gained by like charging forward. This is only done when you're going over the top, when you're charging forward or when you're bogged down or, you know, through role play. Okay. Yeah. Gaining ground was like a term in World War One, but literally gaining ground in towards the other side. Okay. Yeah. Uh, experience is gained by, oops, experience is gained by completing objectives. Uh, you need four for an advance. An advance will get you either plus one to an attribute or a new playbook move. Uh, harm represents physical, literal physical harm that your characters get. Um, there's four boxes, lightly, har- lightly wounded, moderately wounded, critically injured, and killed in action. If you're killed in action, you're out. Um, and luckily, there are hundreds of thousands of soldiers, so you just make another one. Mm-hmm. Um, stress is psychological damage. So there was this phenomenon that was occurring during the war where soldiers would not be able to walk or would suddenly become blind or wouldn't be able to speak Mm -hmm. or would be rendered catatonic. And at the time they attributed this to shell shock, the the hearing, the, the, the shells going off all around you or this impending doom, right? And it would just affect like deeply affect the psychology of soldiers. Now the term they use is war neurosis. Um, So stress represents your character's mental fortitude. So sometimes you might be taking physical harm, so you might be taking harm, or you might be taking stress. Stress accumulates. So the first one, first check, has no effect on you. If you have two stress, you get minus one to an attribute, temporary minus one to an attribute of your choice is based on the narrative. And then it keeps stacking to the point where all of your seven to nine rolls count as failures mm-hmm. and it gets harder and harder. So this is uh, stress was a way that we actually, um, this is a design mechanism for having the players lean on each other for help. Yeah. So you can remove that then. You can remove that then. Characters like the replacement and the creative are designed to basically help people remove stress. There are also basic moves that remove stress as well. Um, but yeah, there's stress and there's harm. 
Um, so why don't we go through questions? Let's do introductions, and then we'll you'll do the introduction last, Agatha, because I know you have questions. Okay, sounds good. So I think that might be a good way. So let's start with Amar, and we'll go Steve, and then Agatha. Do you want to introduce your character? Yeah. Uh, what would my rank be? Private? Private? First class? Um, you're the scarred. You could be a corporal. Okay, corporal. Yeah. So this is uh, Corporal Hader Ali. He is one of the uh, million South Asian uh, at the time called Indian uh, soldiers uh, that fought on the Allied side for the British specifically because it was a colony at the time, uh, or Dominion, I think, actually, technically. Dominion, yes. Um, and, yeah, he is scarred because he came into this war uh, and with his brother. Uh, his older brother he looked up to all his life. And uh, the first sort of the first sort he uh, first time he went over the top, his brother just exploded next to him. And that is something that he's carried with him uh, and probably will for the rest of his life. Setting the tone of this already. Ooh. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love it though. I think it's great. Yeah, um, it was a common occurrence. Yeah, that's the part that like right there. Yeah, it hits yeah. you. Um, Plus, also, this is for me subverting the Saving Private Ryan thing. <laughs> so, gotcha. Uh, so, I guess I'll go next. I'm I'm playing um, Hajime Tanaka or Jimmy to his friends. Uh, so Jimmy's going to be like a young, plucky, um, young adult. Uh, I figure he's going to be very much into calligraphy and poetry and writing. He just loves creating things, and he fe- he's joined this war. One, because he has heard tons of stories about heroes and, and what have you, but primarily because he thinks it's going to give him some better standing uh, in society. Maybe he can go to school into like a really prestigious kind of program, make a bunch of money, and just become famous. Oh, okay. So Jimmy is interested in fame. Yeah, he wants to be known for being so brilliant and creative and just an artist. Hmm. Okay, cool. I like that. I like that a lot. That's the, that's kind of a first for me. I've never had a character who was uh, like into fame before. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's of two parts. Like one, fame nets you a bunch of money and money gives you the opportunity to do things that you care about, like, you know, punching up your family and like making sure that people are comfortable and, and what yeah. have you to give back. But he wouldn't mind if everyone on the street knew his name and gave him free stuff, right? Does he is is fame and glory the same to him? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Okay, I'll get back. Maybe that's something we'll discover. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, yeah. Agatha, how about you? Okay, so I'm playing Mary Lee, the sergeant, Sergeant Lee. Yep. And uh, so I would just describe the, the appearance of Mary first of all. She's also very young. Uh, I think is is Hater. Yeah, I young? was just gonna ask. Is, how uh, old is yeah, yeah. Oh, we're all young. young. Oh, yeah, kind of a little young one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was I would be like eighteen or something. That's young. That's yeah. very young for a scarred character. Yeah. Uh, maybe I mean maybe you're you you shouldn't have fought in the well. Maybe you, you don't have to be scarred from war. Oh, because you, you would you would have been very young to you would not have been able to fight in the South African War. That took place at the end oh, of I the see. 19th century. Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking I was just scarred from the sort of very recent event of having okay, my cool. brother. That's also yeah. fair. Yeah, I like that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Everyone is young. Uh, yeah. Okay, so everyone is young. Uh Mary is also young. Mary, yeah. I think we're basically all the same age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm Eighteen as well. Is how I imagine her. Cool. Definitely in her teens, maybe nineteen. I don't know. 
Um, and her uniform is stained, and she is thin, like pretty much everyone. From from the war, well, supplies were were there were still lots of supplies at this time. Okay, I think she's okay. So then she, she was could still be thin. She was definitely thin before the war, okay. and she has that kind of that kind of face of a person who looks like they're a little undernourished and have a very strong determination. Hmm. And the lines on her face are very clear. Okay. Do you come from poverty? I don't. I wouldn't call it poverty. Okay. Yeah. I think I we we do we do we survive. Okay. And we're definitely not. How how did Mary get her command? Uh. So these these are the questions that I yeah. wanted to ask the group. First of all, how long have I been in charge of the section? Is so I've been in the war since the beginning. Uh, how how long have I been in charge though? Is and then have we all been in the same section together? Is that right now? You're all in the same section. So oh. how did how did you? Uh, how long have I been in charge of the section? Um, I feel like. Is your character coming from Canada as well? So the Canadian yes. Air Force. You're coming Canada. from the British. I'm the British side, so I would have just been, I guess, drafted in to fill up like the numbers or something. Yep. Oh, interesting. Um. How about you, Steve? I think I think Jimmy might have joined very early on in the war, right. kind of like get in there because it's the it's the the biggest opportunity, right? The most stuff you can do. He feels mm-hmm. okay. I I don't know what makes more sense. Is I think where I'm struggling. Whatever I, you want. That is more narratively interesting. Um, so maybe I haven't been in charge for a long time. Yeah, maybe because you're young. Your a whole section of your of your trench was wiped out, Oof. and Oof. you were kind of left in charge. Do you even want to be in charge? Is that how I earned my promotion? It's up to you. By surviving. Do, yeah. Is that how that works? In, in this case, it could. Yeah. Do you want it to be that way? I think it would be more interesting if I did do something else other than live. To deserve it, done. But uh, but I don't know what that would look like. Maybe it was an act of heroism. You can you can be a hero and still have significant loss. Yeah, like I don't know if that's resonating with you or not. So maybe I did pull one other person that was in my section out, but then they've been taken out of combat. Yeah, maybe you say you saved somebody important. Do you? It could be Jimmy or the lieutenant. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to push a little bit. Maybe you save me because one of my bonds has to do with some someone who inspires me to create art. Ooh, and you actually see a hero. You would be, you would actually be an inspiration for a lot of his art. Okay. Forward. Yeah. I think I can save you. And I think I feel, I feel ambivalent about that, that I see <laughs> yeah. that I yeah. saved you because, because you were close by, but I feel ambivalent about the fact that we were the two that survived. And yeah. that we are now in this strange position. Yeah, now you're my Diana. You're my Wonder Woman. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Okay. And then I guess Ali was brought in to kind of bolster the numbers here, mm-hmm. which kind of works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it could have been like a joint, um, what do you call it, operation nearby or whatever. And maybe everybody in my regiment or my section got wiped out. And they were like, uh, well, they're short one and you're by yourself. So you just go over there. Something yeah. Like that. Have, have you, I know, because Agatha, you work at TIFF. Did you see They Shall Not Grow Old? The what? They Ooh. shall not grow old. The Peter Jackson thing, right? The Peter yeah. Jackson. Oh no. my god! It was the first time I'd ever gone to the light box, and so Peter Jackson directed Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, 
loves the First World War. He has like a collection of uniforms and everything. Yeah. And he actually did a movie of colorized World War One footage yeah. with interviews. Yeah. And it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember people walking out of those screenings. Yeah. And it was powerful. Yeah. Like just seeing footage of things like like a, the capture of a German officer in color. Cool. Or like they had special artillery rounds that would go off in the air and shoot huge chunks of metal over the trenches. And just seeing those in color and with such clarity really like it blew my mind. Yeah. So how do I handle the burden of my command? Uh, I think I was like, ah, oh. my, my default was going to like, ah, oh, self-harm because that's a very easy way to kind of picture someone internalizing their, their stress, I guess. But yeah. I don't know if I necessarily want it to could do be, that. It could be. Some people do that. Some people pick, like, alcohol. Some people say that they just, like, they refuse to make friends. That's how you deal with it. Because, you know, you're, you have this burden. You have to command your soldiers. But you've experienced so much loss that you're like, I'm just not going to form close bonds. And you distance yourself from people, despite their attempts to become close with you. There could be, um, you could also deal with the burden of your command by doing something positive, like, hey, like, you know, I have a garden in the trench. Or, mm-hmm. like, I try to do art. Maybe you talk to Jimmy, and Jimmy's trying to teach you calligraphy, and that's kind of helping you relax. Or maybe you just deal with the burdens of command by, like, very stoically. Yeah. You just, just take it on, that's it. Yeah, you literally just take on that, la- that emotional labor, that responsibility. I think um, how I handle the burden of my command is uh, I've kept pieces of, I think, maybe like clothing and or just detriment uh, from all the people, all the previous members. Yeah. Um, And how I deal with it is that a lot of times uh, when I, I feel like I'm faced with a decision, I will instinctively reach to touch touch them and so they're all very worn and so it's like one of them is just a piece of cloth and it's yeah. very threadbare now that's very haunting is that also your personal item it is not what is your personal item my personal item is an embroidered pouch and the pouch is the embroidery is of lilies and this is what my mom made nice uh this was one of the things that she had to make to prove that she was uh marriageable Marriable, eligible for marriage, eligible for marriage. Yeah, um, so it, you can use that personal item to actually remove one stress once per session. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, Jimmy's personal item? I was thinking. So uh, as we were kind of talking, I was going through and I was trying to find like famous calligraphy scrolls. Like I want him to have a scroll of one character, and that character like speaks very loudly and it resonates a lot with like him and his personal values and what have you. I haven't picked what it is, but it's going to be a scroll of one. It's like a character. One character, and that, that inspires him. That's cool. How about you, Omar? What's Ali's? Uh, the, my personal item is uh, my brother's uh, kukri, uh, which is this bent machete um, that's uh, famous uh, mostly from Nepal. And uh, because it did get you know blown up with him a bit, it's, it's quite like, it's chipped and it's, got a lot of like do wear you use stuff. it as a weapon uh i haven't yet this is more of a memento that i keep on me but you know you never know yeah okay cool 
So let's 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 now that we have an introduction to you know Ali, Lee, and Tanaka, Jimmy. Let's let's start thinking about bonds. Everybody has different bonds on their characters. Different bonds. So mm-hmm. let's let's try filling those out. Let's see what we've got. So I think Steve, you already did one of them. Yeah. So I have here. Someone has done something to inspire me. I see them as my muse. I'm going to write that down as Sergeant Lee. Nice. So Whether or not Lee, you know, accepts that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, my other, my next one is someone and I know each other from home. They help me obtain materials for my art. Um, that one I'm kind of like, I don't fully know. Because I know... It like, could be a quartermaster. Could be a quartermaster. Could be an NPC. Right? Yeah, could it could be an NPC. Oh, I see. Could be a Japanese NPC. Hmm. I'm, nothing's really like jumping out at me. Yeah. But my next one is blank someone does not believe that my art has a place on the front lines. And I thought that felt like pretty juicy for like drama. Ooh. Um, Who is it? I don't know. It, do, it could I, be also be an NPC too. Could be an NPC, but yeah, uh, yeah I think Ali would would feel that way, right? Like, yeah, his, his big thing is, well, yeah, everybody has to survive. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Exactly. I'm making like weird drawings in the trenches. Do you think your your dugout has, is decorated with like drawings that you've done? So I have some idea of like how I want my dugout to be, but I definitely want my dugout to be like very calm with like some soft lighting. But I want my calligraphy to be very. You create it and then you erase it, kind of with like that idea of being impermanence. Impermanence, yeah. So he uh, he uses calligraphy as a way to express, and then when it's time, just to remove and move on. Mm, uh, very cool. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how about yeah. your bonds, Amar? Uh, yeah. Um, during the last trench raid, I saved somebody's life. They now trust me with their life. Ooh. Who did I save? Who did you save? And again, it could be an NPC. If it's not jumping at either of you, then I could... Uh... I mean, it's jumping at me, but like everyone's just like saving Jimmy. Jimmy's just like this huge screw-up. That sounds well, I don't great know if to you're me. a screw-up. I just think you're inexperienced at war. I think yeah. you, you could have saved me. Yeah. But do you now trust me with your life? Ooh. Yes. Okay. Done. Lee it is. Um, so Blank and I often butt heads when strategizing. So I was thinking either again, oh. Lee, but you you trust each other. So you do you think you'd butt heads? I think we would still butt heads uh, yeah. because I, my, my my thinking was I would butt heads with whoever the strategizer is, uh, the person who's doing the planning, uh, because I would always want to make sure that we don't lose any men. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, well, I mean, does, you, know, does, you go to war, you get Lee a crack take risks. I don't know if Lee necessarily takes risks, but it's just it's war. You ha- like you you gotta be you know, so you're like constantly eggs. like being like, are you sure? Is this or the like, best option? Yeah, no, we should do this other plan. Or like I'm like trying to, I'm saying maybe we shouldn't go over the top. Maybe we should move, maybe we should do some more shelling from like a distance or use the machine gun more or whatever. But at some point, somebody needs to go over the top and fight the Germans, right? Yeah. So, um, but so that was my my thinking of what that tension could look like. I do like that. Okay. So Lee again. So we do butt heads about Wait, it. Can, so can we do repeat bonds with a hundred percent? Yeah. yeah. Hundred percent. This just adds more depth <laughs> to your character's relationships. Copy, copy. Like you trust me, maybe personally with your life, but that doesn't mean you trust my strategic judgment. And my, I don't really have much strategic judgment. I'm like nineteen. What my thing is, anything. I, I'm always against any plan that yeah, loses men. I can yeah. trust you and be frustrated with you. Yeah. Like, 
we are IRL. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, is that so? Are those all your bonds? Uh, one more. Uh, blank and I are the only survivors of an enemy raid. We survived because blank. Ooh. Now we could always. You don't have to fill them out now. You could always mm-hmm. add this as as you go on. So if you don't want to fill that out now, we could go to Agatha and see what kind of bonds Agatha has. Yeah, let's do that. I, and I think I might pick an NPC for that. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So my first one is the section lieutenant is so and so, and my relationship with them is so and so because of another reason, and I is. My relationship is such and such, not so and so. Um, I feel like I want one of the two PCs to be my section lieutenant. Well, oh yeah, one of them is going to be the. Le- are you the lieutenant? Um, you can make me the lieutenant, sure. Uh, well, in that case, that changes the the bond. We often butt heads when trying to do that. The le- lieutenant is higher than you. That doesn't rank. That doesn't make sense. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, I could still strategize and you could still butt heads. Does that Technically, work? Technically, yes, you could. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my attention would be more with, like, the higher-ups above me as well, who are like, okay, you're going over the top on the third, you know, whatever. Um, Do you think that's something that you want? I mean, I could I could have someone else be my lieutenant as well. I, honestly, I, I was really kind of conceiving of my character as being a, a lower-ranked character. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Then, then maybe, do you picture yourself being a lieutenant? I don't think uh, no, definitely true. not. Definitely okay. not. Okay, no. so then that this will be an NPC, and they definitely need to exist. What's uh, their name? Uh, their name is Ida. Ida. Okay. Ida Ivankov. <laughs> the most uncreative name. Sorry, what, what was that last name? Ivankov. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. They could just be Ida. So what's your next bond? Uh, wait, so my relationship with them is... You get to pick. Yeah, what what is your relationship with them? I think my re- relationship with them is a little strained. Yeah, because because they also were not a part of this the the same section. Okay. Okay. And it's not strained because I don't necessarily respect her, but it's that. But maybe it is that I don't respect her because. I just haven't been through that much with her. And because I am also very young, that is all that matters to me almost. Okay. Okay. I like that. It's interesting. Is it kind of like, you know, you almost feel that her, she's like set in her ways and she's like too stubborn. Yeah. I think, and I think sometimes she, I feel like she's pushing me around. I see. And I don't see why. Doesn't respect, like, you think, in a sense, like, doesn't respect your command. It's almost like micromanaging you. Yeah, and I feel like I I will take that from people that I have been through life and death with in a way that is more impactful than just everyday warfare of life and death. (laughs) Um, And I don't think she's earned that. But then I would never say that, but I really act like that. Cool. I like that. All right, what's your next one? The sergeant bonds are hard. They're difficult. I'm worried about so-and-so because of this reason. Uh, and this is definitely Hader Ali, then. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Why are you worried? Because you trust, you, you trust Hader because of, a, because of a bond. But why are you worried about them? Because I think that Hader Ali is just one step away from being out of line. Ooh. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm really worried. How so? Uh, so I have a strained relationship, maybe, with with Ida. Hater is like on a different level, and because Hater always voices his opinions. Yeah, he's down or insubordinate. Yeah, he's just too vocal. And he and he only cares about people surviving, which is not the point of a war. Apparently. Not the objective. No. So he's just every time he opens his mouth, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. Maybe I used to be able to go to like I guess as corporal. I might go to the briefings with the lieutenant, and then you you had to just stop that because I was just yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, you're 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 almost like you're undermining Lee's authority mm-hmm. just by being so vocal, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Lee trusts you. You're like, yo, homie, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a part of it, and that also puts us in danger. Yeah, because mm-hmm. then your command is eroding. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it makes it difficult to make. Tough decisions quickly. Yeah, because yeah. I'm second in command after you, right? I believe in, the, in this so. case, yes. Corporal, yeah. In this dim- dynamic, as a corporal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, what's your? Do you have? A, you have one more, right? Yes. Um, and the last one is is Jimmy. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> one is just Jimmy. Is what it says. Uh, yeah. Yes, it just says Jimmy. Now, okay, so Jimmy has fought beside me since I joined the war effort, and has and has my respect. Interesting. Huh. Oh. Interesting. Has your respect, but you have a bond that clashes with that, don't you? Somebody who doesn't approve of your work. Oh, oh no, that's, that's hater. That's hater. No, you're good then. You're yeah, good. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Like oh, that. sweet. So, so like I, I admire you, and you kind of like are pretty ambivalent about that admiration and that kind of like pedestal I put you on from an artistic standpoint. But at the same time, you still respect. No, I'm ambivalent about the fact that I saved you as opposed to someone oh. that I feel like is probably better for this war. Oh. But I res- I respect you because you bring this sense of beauty into this place that I really gravitate towards. Gotcha. So that's interesting because Ali kind of hates, oh, hates pretty strong, but you definitely dislike the art that I bring into the trenches, whereas Sergeant Lee kind of appreciates them and respects it mm-hmm. furthering your the, that that wedge between the two of you and your how the section is commanded i don't know if i'm always very uh, like clear about my appreciation for it though mm-hmm. I, I think ali is um he, he the art itself it's like he whatever doesn't really care one way or the other i think he's a little indifferent to it he just thinks that your focus on the art is distracting and will get you killed and that's not okay yeah yeah i can definitely yeah. i can I see what you're putting down. I'm picking yeah. that up. All right. Oh my god, I love yeah. these characters. Yeah, our I bonds are great. really interesting. Yeah, they're very interesting. I like the group dynamic, but we are reaching the like hour and a half mark. Oof. I know. So this is what we're gonna do. We finished our character creation. I'm gonna do a little bit of an intro, set the scene, and then all of us can do some research mm-hmm. for our next session uh, when we begin playing this. You know, playing out this story. So, our game is going to be set on the 22nd of April, 1915. The German army has launched a small offensive to the contested salient. Does everybody know what a salient is? No. Okay. So, uh, a salient is is a military term for a bulge. Basically, it's a battlefield feature that projects into enemy territory. Uh, If that makes sense. It's like a pimple. It's like a pimple. (laughs) Okay. Um, which they've also used that term. Basically, imagine if you had 
um, there were two lines, two trenches, mm -hmm. and there was one part of it that bulged into enemy territory. Right. Highly contested because that means that if they were able to, you know, make advances, they would cut into enemy territory. Right. At yeah. the same time, uh, salients can be attacked from three sides, right. not just yeah. the front. So they're even deadlier to be in. Yeah. Okay. Now, the Germans are launching this offensive on the Yip salient to break out over the front. Okay. And the town of Yip in Belgium represents an important defensive position along the Allied lines because it allows for the protection of the English Channel. And this town needs to be held at all costs. Now, there were rumors, rumors you heard from your lieutenant, Ida, of yellowish-green clouds rolling over the French trenches. They've reached your ear, and you need to join 13th Battalion and defend this line from this mysterious battlefield phenomenon. And that's what we're going to do oh, next boy. session. Oh, Okay. It, is that the gas? Yes. Okay. Your characters are unaware of right, it. Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's what we're going to do for our next session. Okay. And that's our session one slash zero of Ross Rifles. Wow. Took longer. Took longer because we kind of went over all the history. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Character creation of Ross Rifles usually takes about like 15 minutes to 30 minutes. <laughs> Oop. My bad. That's okay. Um, but yeah. That I'm I'm happy we got to you know have these conversations, ha talk about our lines and veils, the O card, the X card, what we want and don't want, because this is you know heavy material. Uh, I'm glad that all of our characters have such strong and interesting bonds, and there's like amazing group diversity. This is actually the first time I've ever played Ross Rifles with you know an all Asian group, mm. uh, which makes me really happy. Uh, how do we all feel so far? I'm. I came into this with like a little bit of trepidation. I, I talked about this. Like, I was like, uh, this might be really heavy. And I don't know if this is really for me, but at this point that we've gone through like the, the bonds we've done our safety tools. I'm really excited to get into like our first session and just kind of see what happens. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to just kind of be in the moment. And I'm, I'm really into that. How do yeah, you feel? Yeah. I feel very invested in whatever story we're going to tell basically because of all of the context that you gave Daniel and, two of you gave as well as even Lamar. so now i'm like i i care about the story whatever it's going to be uh yeah and uh i'm gonna echo what you said before and i know we're not doing roses but i really really like the way that you steve are uh calling out sort of the mythology of war uh with the reality of war and to some degree the the sort of like war is hell thing has become its own kind of weird mythology um but it's really important to like distinguish between the romanticism of war stories and the bravery of those heroes of these uh, soldiers which of course is undeniable but the mythology that we tell after the fact and the way we try to make it seem like oh this was a great battle that we should you know like and often was just brutal and terrible and a lot of people died yeah so i really really appreciate that you bring that in with your character that sort of irony dramatic irony between the two yeah i think that i think all of these characters represent um very important stories that need to be told mm -hmm. uh, about this war. Um, and, you know, we really want, I, I'm very, very grateful that all of you, you know, agreed to kind of sit down and play this game uh, because it's kind of been like two years of, of telling these World War I stories and having like really heavy games at cons and having, you know, lighthearted games about 
Sergeant Bill the Goat mm-hmm. or like Winnie the Pooh, which is a World War One story as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. And uh, yeah. So listeners, sorry, I had to take that moment because like this, I kind of got emotional. Yeah. Um, listeners, if you have any questions about the episode's themes, so, you know, the First World War, representation in the war, um, Ross rifles or anything else related to Asians represent, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at AZNS represent or at AZNS represent at one shot podcast.com. What I'm going to be doing is I'm actually going to send every single patron of the one shot network, a copy of the Ross rifles quick start. They don't have to worry about downloading it. We're just going to throw it in that Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, you know, and if you're not a patron of the one shot network, you should, Mm-hmm. But if you aren't, you could head to dundaswestgames.com forward slash Ross Rifles to get your free copy of the Quick Start. It has a little bit of the history and enough to get you started. I'm Daniel. I'm Amar. I'm Agatha. I'm Steve. And you've just listened to Asians Represent. Represent. Let us afford.